We've been in a sermon series entitled The Life We Long For, looking at the life of Jesus. And would you give a warm welcome to our lead pastor, Chris, as he continues us now in that sermon series. Good morning, Hope Astoria. I'm so glad that we get to start our week off gathered in worship or sitting around God's word, expectant, waiting for Jesus to speak to us. I want to welcome family, friends, guests that are joining us. Uh, perhaps you've never visited our church and you've been checking us out during this past year. I'm so glad you're here. We're about to get into the Word of God, and we're in the middle of a sermon series titled, The Life That We Long For. And we've been exploring this tension that exists between the lives that we actually live versus the life that we all long for. A life with greater purpose and meaning, a life of greater joy and deep rootedness. And in that tension between the life we're living, the life we long for, we discover liberating truths as we examine the life of Jesus. In this series, we're seeking to go from just believing Jesus and believing things about Jesus to actually imitating the very way he lived. We've been looking at what it looks like to imitate his prayer life, his, his ability to be busy but unhurried, his, the centrality of scripture in his life, how he managed and wrestled with temptation. Today, Arguably, we're going to get into one of the most important aspects of the rhythms of Jesus, something that shows up in his life constantly, and I would argue something that we need desperately. We're going to go to scripture. We're going to be reading from two uh, passages in the Gospel of Mark. The first one is chapter 2, verse 23 to 28. Next one is chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. It reads as follows. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 and onward. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. We pray you would speak to our hearts, cause us to encounter you in power and transformative love. Holy Spirit, would you fill our rooms wherever we're logging in and watching and joining at this hour, Lord, with your people Reveal Jesus, transform us, convict us, strengthen us, encourage us. 
And Father, may we grow in deeper, deeper love and surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the surprising things for me as I've been studying the life of Jesus during this series, I, I've been reading the New Testament since I was 14 years old, uh, just cover to cover consistently. And I never realized that one of the consistent places of tension, one of the repeated arguments, you can learn a lot about a person's life when you examine what's the drama that follows them. What do people keep having an issue with them about? And surprisingly, the religious leaders, one of the main things they argued with Jesus about was concerning the Sabbath. Now, it's crazy to think that this is the Son of God. And even though they didn't recognize him as the Son of God, clearly he was a powerful human being, healing the sick, casting out demons, liberating people, teaching things that were just amazing to consider. So there was a sense that God's hand was on his life. And, and even though they squabbled over who is he and, and how do we relate to this person, at the end of the day, their ongoing battles was about the Sabbath. And it was on the Sabbath. Many of the arguments and attentions that Jesus encountered in his earthly life took place on the Sabbath. I don't think that that's just kind of a, a pet peeve of the religious leaders, and it just was a product of their times, and, and particular to them. I, I honestly feel it's like a prophetic window into the human soul, and that if given the chance, one of the things that you and I will fight God with, resist Him, question Him, is around the idea of rest. One of the things that you and I are constantly fighting God with, and, and resisting his invitation is his invitation to rest. That happened during Jesus' time. And as a result, the Sabbath day was a hostile day for Jesus. Imagine that. I've had hostile moments. I'm sure you have had moments of arguments, whether it's on a train station, a crowded, crowded commute, and someone just gets snippy because it's New York and tensions are just kind of always there at the surface or Maybe something took place at work or a conflict at home with your kid or a relative. But I can't think of many conflicts that I've had that escalate to the point where people are wanting to kill me. This is what's happening in the life of Jesus. We read that after one of these contentious moments on the Sabbath, the religious leaders went and began to plot how to kill him. What he did on the Sabbath, how he related to God and to people on the Sabbath, rubbed against the grain of that time so much that people sought to erase Jesus from the face of the earth. What I want to establish is that what we're talking about is life and death. Jesus was willing to raise the frustrations, the ire. He didn't care that it was causing conflict from religious leaders. He was insistent on practicing the Sabbath the way he practiced it, because he was trying to demonstrate a gift to humanity. See, I used to think that to imitate Jesus, the things we should focus on were praying for the sick, the, the living a supernatural spirit-empowered life, or loving those on the margins, uh, modeling just God-like love and mercy and grace. And I still believe that, and we should believe that. To imitate Jesus, 
means that we look at all of his life and practice all of his rhythms and his priorities as his apprentices. And we've been looking at that in this series, but I want to give you and I kind of some low-hanging, accessible fruit that you and I can grab hold of. If you're serious about imitating Jesus, and I know you are, I know I am, we want to do that as a community, here's one of the most amazing ways that we can do that. If we practice the Sabbath, we will be imitating Jesus. Because while on earth, the Son of God, one of his consistent rhythms and practices was honoring the Sabbath. So what does that mean? For some of us, there's some a lot of baggage uh, when we hear the word Sabbath. We don't understand how to fully relate to this day um, as Christ followers. Let's unpack that because there is something that God has for us in this day as we understand what it means and how we can lean into it. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath, the word Sabbath, it literally means to stop. And this idea of Sabbath actually predates the Ten Commandments. This was not something that Moses created as a law uh, for God's people, um, Israel, when they were freed from Egypt. Actually, this rhythm, this idea of the Sabbath was created and modeled and first practiced by God himself in the very first moments of creation. Look at what it says in Genesis 2, verse 1 and onward. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he, that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Now I want you to uh, kind of capture what that says. This is God after the first week of time and creation and after six days of creating everything you and I see and taste and experience, the world we know, on the seventh day, God rested. Now God rested not for the motives that you and I often need to rest. He wasn't exhausted. He wasn't physically depleted or drained. He's infinite. He's limitless. He does not tire like you and I. He rested to model something for all of creation. He, in the act of resting, God establishes a rhythm in creation that you and I have to understand. Because if we don't, we will be violating a fundamental structure in all of life. But now let's jump to Exodus 20. And this is the moment... Uh, the Ten Commandments, where Moses is coming down from the mountain with Ten Commandments. God is giving his people, Israel, former slaves, and he's giving them a covenant, a way to live. This is the, essentially kind of the terms of agreement of you're going to be my people, and this is how you, a freed people now, are to live. And he gives them these commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is this, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea 
and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I remember watching a documentary not so long ago, and it was about the fashion industry. And there was this lead designer that everyone was just really fawning over because uh, his work was really incredible. It was trend setting. It was just kind of breaking boundaries and everyone had their eye on him. Anyway, there was a scene where someone brought him a bag, a designer bag that another competing designer made. And when they brought him the bag, he didn't look at the color or kind of the the metal on it or the straps or he went immediately to the stitching and he began to pull on the stitching and began to examine it, rub his hands and kind of feel the stitching. And at that moment, what, what kind of occurred to me is if you and I were able to kind of feel the stitching of creation, of the cosmos, of the world that we live in the fabric, in the very DNA of The world that we live in, God sowed the Sabbath into it. It's within the very rhythms of life. The world that we exist in was created with this rhythm that was embedded into it. Six days work, one day rest. And the first person to model that, to exhibit that, to demonstrate that was God himself. You and I were created in the image of God. And the God whose image we bear is a God who creates the world in this rhythm of work, rest one day. Work six, rest one day. And so if you and I violate that rhythm, if we don't live within the boundaries of that rhythm, we are in essence resisting the image that we were created in. In many ways, it's a way of saying that, hey, that worked for you, God, but this is going to work for me. You can rest. I don't have to. But if God demonstrated that this is the way creation was was laid out, this is how he existed, you and I need to pay attention to this rhythm of work and Sabbath. What's, What's fascinating as we just kind of keep kind of picking apart these verses and understanding Sabbath and trying to get into God's mind and understand what he was trying to do, in Mark 2, the verses we read, It says that God created the Sabbath. Well, we understand that God created the Sabbath, and he was the first to enter into its rest. But in Mark 2, it says God created the Sabbath for man. In other words, the Sabbath does not exist. It wasn't created so that we would serve the Sabbath. That it's a law that's kind of this burden on our shoulders, and we live with this, like, guilt and this unhealthy relationship in trying to adhere to this rhythm. Actually, no, it's the opposite. The Sabbath was created for us. It's a gift that God created and gave to the world. The moment he rested, he gave the world a gift. He gave humanity a gift by modeling how life is to be lived. This rhythm that you and I desperately need to access and live out. See, in the creation account, when we look at the verses we read in Genesis, it says that God blesses animals, he blesses human beings, but it's interesting, he also blesses a day, a 24-hour period. 
And in, a, in addition to blessing it, he declares it holy. He declares one day to be holy, set apart unto him. You know, as I've been looking at um, advertisements and campaigns and marketing, I try to take some time to examine what they're trying to communicate because ultimately those campaigns, those marketing ads, the things that we watch, the commercials, they're trying to influence us. They're trying to get into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations. They're trying to occupy space in our souls to drive our decisions, to influence the actions we take or don't take, to put thoughts in our minds that influence our life greatly. And what's been interesting is I've been looking at campaigns lately and different commercials. What I've picked up is how often companies will try to tap in to our desperate need as people to rest. They know we're exhausted. They know we don't rest. And so whenever they're trying to sell their products, if you'll notice, they'll position their product in a scene at a beach, a place of calm and rest. And you look at the beach and you're like, I want to rest. And then they show you the product and was like, so I must need that product in order to rest. Or they'll, they'll advertise something with a scene with a family slowing down, sitting at the table, doing something just leisurely. Images that look nothing like life in New York. But why they're doing that is interesting because they know we're exhausted and they know if they can sell something with the promise, the illusion that this will give you the rest you crave for, we're more likely to purchase it. What they're tapping into is this deep down design inside each of us. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this design exists in every human being. God created us in his image, and inwardly we crave for a life rhythm that's established in the way that God himself modeled, where you work six days, rest one. You stop completely everything for one day. And what do you do on that one day? God gives us further instructions. We're going to get into what we do and how we practice the Sabbath. But before we move on, what's amazing, what God does at this moment to former slaves, when they're freed from Egypt, he gives them these 10 commandments. And one of them is to honor the Lord by practicing the Sabbath. And what was so countercultural in God doing that at that time is that they lived in a pagan culture where there were deities and temples and all sorts of gods that were worshipped by people in various ways. But the, the vast majority of the time, in order to worship that deity, to encounter that God, you had to go to a temple, to a holy site, a pilgrimage. You had to go see a religious leader at a certain town or village. God flips this idea on its head and says, no, you don't have to go to a sacred place to meet me because I'm going to make a period of time sacred. And if you enter into that period of time that I have declared to be holy, that I have blessed the Sabbath, I'm creating a space in your weekly rhythms to deeply, richly encounter me. You don't have to go. You don't have to try and conjure this thing up. I'm creating this space for you. 
for you to meet me on a weekly basis. And in that process of meeting him, he invites us to do a few significant things. On the Sabbath day, God invites us to stop in order that we might experience a few things. He wants us to stop from our work in order that we would experience delight, that we would receive rest, and that we would enter into worship. So he wants us to stop once a week, 24-hour period. Stop, delight, rest, and worship. I want to talk about rest and worship today because we don't have unlimited time. I'm going to focus on those two things. God invites us to rest. As I said earlier, God commands us to rest, and yet it's part of our experience where we fight God tooth and nail when he invites us to rest, much like the religious leaders at that time. It wasn't accidental that what Jesus did on the Sabbath was the thing that aroused their anger so much because it speaks into this human resistance of us kind of stiff-arming God, saying, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to live a life based on the rhythms that you created. I'm going to live in a place of exhaustion and overperforming and constantly doing. The idea of stopping, I'm not even going to entertain that. I'm just going to keep going, going, going. And why do we go? Why do we resist rest? Because in the place of rest, we have to face our deficiencies. We have to face our emptiness, our, our longings that are unfulfilled. We have to come to terms with our identity apart from what we do. And that is so difficult. One of the reasons why it's so hard for us to shut down and stop checking emails and, and, and putting boundaries with work and, and constantly not doing is because we don't know how to just be because our society, our culture has formed us in such a way that we don't know who we are apart from what we do. And so we resist God's invitation to rest because to rest is a painful process for us. Because in order to rest, I have to face the demons of my identity. I have, we have to face the fact that we are not comfortable with not doing things because we are constantly performing and trying to earn our place and validate us among our peers and kind of, uh, you know, justify our seat at the table. But God says, no, worship, part of a life that is apprenticing me, imitating me, Jesus, is for you and I to practice Sabbath, a, a weekly rhythm of stopping to rest, to rest from what we're doing, rest from expectations, rest from the idea uh, that we, our identity is pegged to our achievements and our accomplishments to enter into a, a day that says, I do nothing, yet I'm still infinitely loved and valued. We fight this, but it's so crucial. Often my kids, when I'm trying to put them to bed at night, they fight me. They want to stay up. They want to resist rest. And me as an exhausted parent, I'm like, man, I wish I had someone commanding me to go to bed. I would obey that command. But before I get judgmental on them, I realize God is constantly commanding me to rest. And yet I resist. We resist. The first invitation is 
on the Sabbath is to rest, to cease from striving, from performing, to stop the endless uh, just pursuit of achievement, of accomplishment, of activity, and to enter into this place of I'm doing nothing, yet I'm absolutely loved. I think it's fascinating that God, one of the first things he would do to these freed slaves, the nation of Israel, when they're freed from Egypt, and now they're entering into this covenant with him and the Ten Commandments, is commanding slaves to rest from their work. These were people that for hundreds of years were under harsh, cruel oppression, and all their daily existence was one of producing, of working. That's their only value. They weren't seen as people. They were seen as mechanisms of production, like a cog in a wheel. And perhaps some of us feel that way in our workplaces, in our homes. We don't we don't feel like people. We just feel like a cog in the machine. And God said to them, rest. One day a week in your, in your life rhythms, you're going to take one day a week to remind your soul that I don't see you as just a producer, a worker, someone who does and accomplishes things. But in our relationship, I see you as just my beloved. And I love you apart from what you do. One of the biggest uh, motivations that I want to instill in your heart and I want it to be deeply in mind when it comes to practicing the Sabbath is that I truly believe that the rhythm of Sabbath is a on-ramp. It points us in the direction of continuously applying the gospel to our hearts. See, the good news of Jesus says that we don't have to earn our place at God's table. It has been made available for us. What Jesus has done has granted us a place at the table, regardless of our accomplishments, our failures, our struggles. None of that is a hindrance in us having our place at God's table. We are loved apart from what we do, what's been done to us. That is the the, the gospel that we enter into. And very similarly, the Sabbath actually kind of cues up our hearts with that thought. A day that says, apart from what you do and what you accomplish, and you are loved. You don't have to do in order to be loved. The Sabbath, when we heed this invitation to rest, is cueing us up, forming us, opening us up to receive more richly in an ongoing way the good news of Jesus, that you are loved apart from what you do because of God's infinite grace. See, the Sabbath needs to be more than just a day off. See, on a day off, we can catch up on things, pay bills, run errands. We need days off. But a Sabbath is fundamentally different in that we are resting with the intention to worship. See, on the Sabbath, we rest in order that we would worship. And when we look at the Sabbath... It's the only commandment that God gives us a why. He gives us rationale. That's interesting. The other commandments, he just says, don't lie. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. But on the Sabbath, he gives us rationale, motive, underlying reason. He's letting us know this one is important. And and what I find fascinating is that here is God creating these Ten Commandments, giving 
these, these commandments to all of humanity, that if we actually live out these commandments on a consistent daily basis, how different would the world be? And on that list of commandments, prayer doesn't explicitly make it. We don't, we don't see thou shalt pray. Or reading scripture doesn't explicitly make it. Fasting, celebration, uh, all these various spiritual disciplines. But Sabbath is on that list. And again, he's telling former slaves whose sole identity is found in the forced labor they performed to rest. And he's telling us who similarly find so much of our, of our identity and what we do and how we perform. Right there, he's telling us, no, I invite you to have a different identity, to be rooted in life from a different place. I think that's important because so much of our lives are defined by our work. And when we observe this call to stop, to delight, to rest, to worship, in a world that says we have no identity apart from what we do, in a world that says if you are not busy accumulating more or working in order to accumulate more, the Sabbath becomes an act of resistance. To practice the Sabbath on a weekly basis is an act of resistance to these values that try to shape us, that tell us we are only valuable based on what we do or what we accumulate. No, the Sabbath says, no, I'm loved apart from all of those things. I resist those lies and those things trying to shape me. The Sabbath is this invitation, a weekly invitation to glory in the gospel where we are invited to rest with no standards to meet or status to earn. All are invited to rest, regardless of your past or your present. God is calling us to rest in order that we might worship. The Sabbath is holy unto the Lord. It's not just a regular day off. It's a day that we consecrate to God. On the Sabbath, you and I are invited to not only stop and rest, but in stopping and resting, to cultivate our honor to God, to deepen our intimacy with God by having intentionality on that day as we stop, as we rest, to direct our hearts to God. What would it look like to apply the Sabbath to our lives in this way. Again, to be like Jesus, to imitate Jesus, means that we have to practice the Sabbath because that's his rhythms. That's how he lived. I love this quote by Walter Brueggemann. He says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's a beautiful idea that by consecrating this one day a week that's intended for worship and honor to God and to rest, it actually influences the other six days of the week. And how does it do that? Because in order to actually practice the Sabbath, there's some preparation. There's intentionality. You have to be alert and paying attention to how you're living the other six days in order to, for us to truly enter into this day of rest and worship. And when you look at the way God frames the Sabbath, and I hope this, this next part really frees you. Because for, for some of us, you may be feeling a sense of stress of like, 
what am I going to do for 24 hours? You know, after I wake up on the Sabbath, I'm just going to pray all day, uh, read the Bible all day, uh, not tend to my kids because I just got to sing worship music all day. That's actually not, uh, you know, the, the, the strictest way to apply the Sabbath. What we find when we look at God's word, the instructions around the Sabbath, we're commanded to honor the Sabbath, to observe it, to remember it. But we're not given such prescriptive parameters as to what you have to do on that day as you're stopping to rest and to worship. And so there's a lot of freedom for you and I to explore with God the things that would give rest to you and the things that would incline your heart and redirect your heart in worship. See, rest looks different for all of us. I think that's, that, that's liberating to know that what looks, what's restful for you doesn't have to be restful for me and vice versa. Some people find rest in fishing. Um, that to me does not look restful. Uh, or in camping or hiking. But some people, man, if you just, if they had a day to hike. And I know many of us in our church, that's your thing. After a day of hiking, you are rested, you are rejuvenated. But for some, it's cooking. It's uh, doing something with your family, building something. I love the expression that those who work with their minds rest with their hands. And I found that to be very true with me. On my days off, I like to do stuff with my hands, particularly One of the most restful things for me on my Sabbath is I like to cook an elaborate meal for my family, something that isn't quick to do, something that really gets me in that zone for an hour or two. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I just cook the meal for my wife and I. My kids sometimes don't want to eat these fancy things. They're like, oh, give me chicken nuggets. That's fine because I I took that time to make that meal it shuts me down. It slows me down. I have to stop in order to do that. On my Sabbath, sometimes I'll I'll line up documentaries. Kind of nerdy, I know. But I will prepare and say, my Sabbath is coming up. What documentaries am I going to watch? Some other things that I do is I try to spend intentional time with my kids on the Sabbath, uninterrupted. Um, During the week, I try to create pockets of time that way, but often it's interrupted. It's a bit distracted. Because they have their schedules, I have mine. But on the Sabbath, we have this elaborate meal. We sit down, we read devotionals as a family. We'll joke, we'll laugh. These things I've found work for me. They may not work for you, and that's the beauty of this process. You get to explore. You get to experiment. As long as your intention is to rest and to worship, there's so much freedom as to how that looks. So I would encourage you, as you're beginning this journey, for some of us, we've never practiced the Sabbath. And I was like you many years ago. I never practiced the Sabbath. I essentially worked seven days a week for many years. And it took its toll. It took its toll on my relationships, on my family, on my soul. And since coming to Hope Astoria in July of 2013, one of the most transformative practices has been consistently practicing the Sabbath. Now, I, in full disclosure, I don't get this right every week. Some weeks, the Sabbath is gloriously entered into and it's truly regenerative. And other weeks, I struggle. Um, I'm distracted. I'm not fully present. And it isn't restful. At the end of the day, though, I persist. And I want to invite you 
as you're making that choice, if you've never practiced Sabbath, be prepared that it's going to be difficult at first. In fact, there's going to be almost like a detox period, a detox from busyness, from hurriedness, from all the frenetic pace that we live. Don't abandon it just because it's hard at first or you don't feel the immediate return or benefit. Because I promise you, over time, it will restore your soul and you'll come to the place where you will relish in the Sabbath, where you will plan for it, where you will wait for it in anticipation. So for one, begin by just setting a day. Look at your week. You know your rhythms, the demands. What day of the week can you realistically, consistently set apart for God to stop, to rest, to worship? On that day, do your best to clear your schedule of as many things as you possibly can. Again, just to create that unhurried margin of life, that pace where you're just being present to God. One practical thing, turn off your phone. If you can, turn it off. Log off of social media. Do whatever you can just to just disconnect. And on that day, as you're doing this, I want to invite you to say a simple prayer. It's actually one of the oldest prayers of the church. And the prayer is simply, come Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit on your Sabbath to be with you, to fill you, to speak to you, to center you on Jesus. And live that day with an increasing awareness of the presence of God directing your heart to God throughout the day. Do it. We practice the Sabbath as a day that's holy unto the Lord. And on that day, plan things that give you rest. Whatever that thing is, whether it's hiking or cooking a meal or reading a book, whatever allows you to rest and in that place of rest gives you margin in your soul to worship where you begin to redirect your heart and worship to God. I want to close in prayer. I hope and pray that Jesus has been speaking to your heart this morning and that there's an excitement in your soul to look at your schedule, to look at your week and decide and determine this is how I'm going to practice the Sabbath and to plan accordingly. And to be ready to live with intentionality the other six days, knowing that on this day, there's going to be a hard stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest. I'm going to worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would truly seek to imitate you as people who practice the Sabbath. Who recognize that there is supposed to be this day in our weekly rhythms that's unlike all the other six one day a week that is holy, set apart to you. It's, it's more glorious than a day off because it is a day that's sanctified and holy to you, a day that you have blessed and said, if we rest in that day and stop and direct our hearts to you, we can meet you in that space of time powerfully. Lord, I pray you would refocus us, reset our hearts, people that have often pegged our identity to what we do, to our jobs, to our accomplishments. May we receive this gift that says, 
your love regardless of what you do. Help us, Lord, to practice the Sabbath. In Jesus' name.